You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avtsan on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, Rabbi Levi Avtsan over here. Farbringen show. DJ's with me on my right and he'll laugh at all my jokes. Um, even if they're not funny, DJ, right? Is that a commitment? Okay, cool. And, <laughs> and it's awesome to be back with you. A great week. Please God for all of us. Hopefully the week has started right and should only get more right and more right. Um, I'm not talking politically, but just it should be an awesome week. And obviously this is a week that uh, all over the world we're uniting with the Shabbos Project. So please God, it should be a week of unity and connectedness and courage. And today, hopefully we could talk about something interesting and something relatable. And as always, we'd love to hear your thoughts on... 0621482374 is our WhatsApp number on air at chayfm.com. Email, tweet at chayfm, SMS at 34519. And today we're going to talk about the courage to think out of the box. It's something that people talk a lot about today. Um, and let's talk about talking about it. Um, what does it mean to think out of the box? And are we really willing to think out of the box? You know, often we'll think out of the box when it comes to business and we'll admire entrepreneurs who thought out of the box and Apple, you know, is seen as total think-out-of-the-box company. And certain individuals, whether it's Steve Jobs, whether it was Microsoft, whether it was Zuckerberg, you know, in, in technology, whether it was um, companies locally who thought about how to retail and wholesale, at Walmart, God knows, each person in their own time was considered an original thinker. So, yes, we respect that in that area, but do we respect open thought in other areas, like the way we live our lives, the status of materialism, religion, etc.? That's really what we want to explore today, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on which conversations should we be having that we are not having? Which conversations are we as a community and we as individuals ought to be having that we're not having and what would you say in those conversations here on 101.9 Chai FM? But as always, we're not starting anything until we listen to some music. Music is the language of the soul. And this is a beautiful song by Baruch Levine called Etzemach David Avdecha. It's a prayer for the redemption, which we find every day in the Amidah here on 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. It is 101.9 High FM, and that was the beautiful song of Baruch Levine singing with A.B. Rottenberg, two of my favorite composers in Jewish music. Oh, that was just beautiful. It's called that Semach, and I just I love that song. Um, and here we are, and today we're going to talk about the conversations we don't want to have. Each and every one of us, no matter how open-minded we think we are, in some ways we're closed-minded. And I guess not everything should be open-minded, right? You know, there's certain things that you should just, it is the way it is. But sometimes I wonder if the conversations we're afraid of having are the most important conversations that we need to have. So, for example, had you had a, a certain conversation with your mom, a lot of issues would be solved, but you decided not to have it, and therefore, for the rest of your life, you're going to sit there wondering, what if? And then, after her passing, unfortunately, you go to the grave and you start talking to her. And I always say, yes, it's awesome to talk to a grave, but it wouldn't it be nicer if you could talk to a human rather than a stone? And I'm sure her spirit and his spirit hears you. But why do we have so, such an easier time talking to people when they're not here? Obviously, because it, it's not awkward. You have no idea how they're responding. 
you know, people often tell me, how can you talk to God? He doesn't answer. And I say, in many ways, it's easier to talk to God because you could just say it and you have no idea if he's liking it or not. But the hard conversations that we're supposed to have with people, we, we rarely have. Face to face, to have those tough conversations with our child, with our spouse, with our friend, with our boss, with our employee. Not mean conversations, but conversations that have we had them would make our life so much smoother. And we have to ask ourselves the question, which conversations are we not having? Let me ask you a question. Would you be divorced if you had a conversation X? Had you had that conversation, that were you, had you been vulnerable enough about yourself and force the other person as much as you can to be vulnerable about themselves, to put themselves in a situation different and force them to open up, would you have solved some of your issues? So I know a person who told me that had they had the courage to tell their mother-in-law to mix out of their marriage, they would ha- still be married today. So they never had the courage to have the conversation with their mother-in-law, and now they're divorced. So which one was a better route to go down? To not have the conversation and then watch the marriage decay, or to have a conversation and maybe, maybe, ruin a relationship, but save the more important relationship. And often, we lack that clarity to know which relationship is worth ruining for the sake of saving. So, for example, if you knew that moving away from your parents and not living within a 10-kilometer radius of your parents would be good for your marriage, would you have the conversation, the, the courage to do that? If you knew that leaving your job or insisting that you get a better salary even if it means they might fire you, would make you happier and would put you on the road that you need to be? Would you have the conversation? And what boggles the mind is how often the difference between mediocrity and being exceptional is just one conversation. And we'll choose mediocrity over exceptionalism just because we struggle to have that conversation. So we'll choose a very mediocre marriage or dissolve our marriage rather than sitting down and both of us being extremely vulnerable with one another and sharing our deepest feelings and our deepest fears and our deepest issues for the sake of a deeper and more meaningful relationship. How many fights between siblings and within communities and misunderstandings happen simply because a conversation cannot be had? Because one or two of the parties are not willing to sit across the table and embrace vulnerability. How many decisions could communities have made if only they were willing to have tough conversations amongst the community and sit there saying, what is good for us in the big run? Families, communities, individuals. We prefer to take the easy but destructive route of avoidance then the harder but more rewarding route of having tough conversations. I was reading about you know, churches in the United States, how unfortunately due to the fact that religion is struggling in many areas of the world and Judaism in, in, as well, where some, it, if it means two communities have to come together for the sake of saving both, often two communities will des- decide to des- self-destruct rather than having the humility of merging just because people don't want to have the tough conversation of what's good. And it's in every religion, it's in every group, etc. 
hard conversations are most probably the hardest thing to have. We often talk about public speaking as the biggest fear. I think today's day and age where every person is publicizing their opinions on YouTube, I don't think public speaking today is still the biggest threat. I think it's private speaking that's the hardest thing. To have that tough conversation with a parent, with a child, with a spouse, with a coworker, etc., etc., etc. That is where courage is needed. We think of courage as being superhuman, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, coming in and saving the day by doing supernatural things. That is exceptionalism. No, that's not. First of all, it's not human. It's sci-fi. It's imagination. There ain't no such a thing as Superman. Sorry, honey. Wake up. And if you're 12 years old and you still believe in it, well, good luck to you. And if it gets you to have the courage to do real courage, then power to you. But at some stage you wake up and you realize that real Superman and Superwoman is the ability to be an absolutely human human, but have the courage to, to do things which are excep- exceptional. And often exceptionalism will be in doing things which are uncomfortable, to walk out of our comfort zone, to have conversations, and to make decisions which are unpopular amongst people around us. Everyone thinks that they know what's good for us. Right? Everyone knows exactly how the celebrity should live their life. Everyone knows exactly how Donald Trump should be president. And everyone knows what Jacob Zuma should do. But how many of these same people know what they should do? Do they know what's good for their marriage? Do they know how to be better parents? It's very easy to know how somebody should run a country, but how are you running your home? And how are you running your business? And you know exactly what Zuckerberg should do for Facebook. Maybe you're right. But what about our own stuff? It's so easy to have conversations about people who will never talk to us. I can sit there giving you a whole strategy how Twitter can reinvent themselves. But as far as I know, no, I'm, I haven't had any missed calls from Twitter Incorporated asking Mr. Aftson, would you like uh, sharing your great wisdom and how we could do better on the stock market? But what I do know is Mr. Aftson's kids want him to be a better father. And his wife wants him to be a better husband. And his congregants want him to be a better rabbi. And those are the conversations that need to be had because that is where the real courage is. You know the famous joke where the wife tells the husband, you can make all the big decisions and I'll make all the small decisions. And he's so excited and he says, just clarify what you mean. And she says, you can decide who the president should be, what should happen to the stock market, um, what China should do, should America go to war in North Korea. I'll decide the small things like which, kids are, which school our kids should go to and with how, which house we should live in, etc., etc., etc. All right, we have big decisions. We know exactly how to save the world. Brother, save the world. But those aren't the conversations that you need. Yes, I know exactly, you know, Man United, if only they did X, Y, and Z, they would do better, and Liverpool should do this, and you, know, you have it all down pat. But do you know how to talk to your wife or your husband a little better? Your child? Do you know how to deal with your workers? Do your employees like you? What do your friends think about you? So please, do yourself a favor and stop saving Man United. They're not actually asking your opinion. But look around you, the people who want you to be a greater leader, and ask yourself, can you deliver? And here is a beautiful melody, a beautiful song actually, from Avram Fried. And this is a song in English called Don't Hide From Me. And this is a, a, a prayer to God. To not hide, but I would say it's also a prayer to ourselves, a prayer to ourselves, where we stop hiding from ourselves 
and we actually live up to what we can be. Because if there's one thing that we can regret on our deathbed, it's not the mistakes we made. It's the successes that we didn't accomplish simply because we didn't believe in ourselves. The great sage who one time said that on my deathbed, the only regret I have is I could have done more. Don't hide from yourself. Here on 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, Rabbi Levi Avzan over here. And we are on the Farbringen Show every Tuesday from 1 to 2 in the afternoon. DJ on the controls and it's an honor and a privilege to be here. And today we're talking about tough conversations. I hope you enjoyed that song. That was Don't Hide From Me by Avram Fried. Don't hide. And as I mentioned just before the break, there was this wonderful Jew named the Rashbats, Rav Shmuel Betzalel, who on his deathbed, they asked him if he has any regrets. And he told them that the only regret he has is that he did not believe in himself more. He underestimated his ability. Most of us think that on the deathbed we'll regret the things we didn't with the the things we did wrong and what he was saying and I I believe it to be true is that we'll regret the good we could have done I mean yes we all make mistakes and that's human and we could regret them but ultimately (sighs) doing good is is, is our mandate over here and we underestimate ourselves we really underestimate ourselves we do not believe that we are as incredible as we are. And when we, you know, the, the gift of science and the gift that we learned in the past few hundred years is the, to understand how complex our world is, but more importantly, to understand how complex the human being is. Biology, psychology, medicine, everything has just shown the complexity of the human being. And God put us on this world. Each and every one of us wasn't born by a mistake. Ask any person who, never, who can't have a child and they'll tell you, believe me, birth is no mistake. It's a soul being sent down to this world. And each and every one of us with our complexity was put into this world for a reason. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we underestimating ourselves? We get our 90 years, 80 years, 70 years, and unfortunately some of us get even shorter Please, God, we should all have long lives. And we were put into this world in a purpose, for a purpose. And the, how much of that purpose is not being achieved because we don't believe in ourselves enough, because we're not having the conversations that we need to have? How many times have I sat across a person who broke a relationship, a, re- a broken relationship with a child, with a parent, or with a spouse, with a girlfriend, with a boyfriend, and all they say is, if only I had a conversation. The difference between mediocrity and success is often just a little courage. It's not about, you know, going to crazy courses and going to 10-day love course and to understand how to understand your spouse better. That's great and awesome. Often the simple difference is a little vulnerability. Allow me to interrupt and just make a bracha. Ah, thanks for the water, DJ. The difference between mediocrity and success is, is just a little courage. The curse of our time is not over self-esteem. It's low self-esteem where we don't believe that we can have it. We don't believe that we can aim higher. You know, today we, we're, we're taught to hate anybody who aspires for greatness. Right? 
Everyone says, why are there no leaders today? I'll tell you why there are no leaders today. Because any guy that tries to lead is smashed. Who do they think they are? They should be the president. And who do they think they are? They should be a public speaker. And who do they think they are that they can talk about marriage? And who do they think they are? So who should talk? So you know what happens. Who are the people that are running for politics and for for success? They're the crazies often. Because they're the ones that don't care what people think about them. They're so narcissistic that they don't care. We get the leaders we deserve. If you want to understand why there's such low caliber of leadership all around the world, specifically in politics, because any decent individual would run for the hills. Well, would you want the whole uh, internet to be making conspiracies about you? Would you want fake news? Would you want your kids waking up in the morning and reading that you're this and you're that and creating absolute bogus lies about you? No. So what do all good people do who care about their name and their integrity? They stay away. So who runs? The Mishagayim, the crazies. And then we're saying, why do we have such a low caliber of leadership? Well, th- what else do you want? Anyone who's half decent would run for the hills. I don't want my kids reading th- stuff about me that never existed, or even if they did exist, I don't want every mistake I made become public knowledge. It's as if today we don't allow imperfect people to run. So what do we get? We get the most imperfect people to run because they're the ones that don't care. So, you know, whatever you're going to think about Donald Trump, I mean, the amount of scandals that came out by him even before he became president and the amount of scandals that came out about Jacob Zuma, gosh, most people, if they had one of those scandals, would be derailed. But these guys are so scandalous that they couldn't care less anymore. So we'll derail people who have one scandal and we'll end up with people that have 800 scandals. Genius. In other words, we're not allowing the people the courage to be human and to have their own conversations and to be who they are. And this is unbelievable. So who dominates the conversations? Not only in political spheres, in communities and families. Who owns the conversation by the Friday night dinner or the Sunday lunch? Often the, the, the judgmental racist or the big mouth. Why? Because they're the only one that's crazy enough to say their opinion. Everybody else is scared of saying their opinion. So everybody sits around not talking. And it's crazy. Who are the people in parliament who get the biggest voice? Often the biggest crazies, the biggest haters. Why? Because they don't care what you think. And we say, how did we end up over here? Yeah, because every decent individual who tried to have an opinion, you smashed them. And you showed them, oh, I remember when you were 15, you said X, Y, and Z. And any person that says anything a little mistaken, we smash them. Honestly, give it a few years and no person with half-decent ethics and morals is going to want to be in any leadership position. Because that's what fake news is all about. I say an opinion you don't like. And suddenly you can make any slander about me and I can make any slander about you. And we are in a full-on assault and courage. We're not allowing people to express themselves and we're not allowing people to have unconvenient conversations because the moment they have them, we smash them. So what do we get? We just get the fringe today. Today, in any community, in any family, in any conversation, we call it silos, right? Well, everyone in America is talking today about this two extremes. So I grew up in New York and uh, often we would listen to... 
770 ABC, which was a radio station, and, and most of the radio speakers were very right-wing. People like Sean Hannity, you might have heard of him, or Rush Limbaugh, and characters like that. Extreme right-wing. Why? Because only if you're extreme will you be heard. If you're nuanced and you're delicate and you're subtle, you'll be smashed. So you have to be so crazy to make believe as if you have the absolute truth and anybody that calls in is absolutely wrong. So that's right-wing radio. Then there's the late-night TV, which is often absolute left-wing and the right-wingers can get nothing right. So what you have is a polarized society, and, and over here I'm not so aware of the conversation, but I imagine it's very similar, where only if you say something at the extreme and you're, you're shouting on the TV... You know, within th- it's always wonderful to see these debates on TV. So the, they start off cordial. We'd like to introduce Mr. So-and-so and Mrs. So-and-so. And five seconds later, they're screaming at each other. And the broadcaster is loving it. The moderator is loving it. Why? Because that's what good TV is. Screaming and shouting. And you're part of the edition. And you said ANC and EFF and DA. Everyone's screaming and shouting. There's no substance to the conversation. Because it's so much easier to take radical points of view. Because you, there's no courage in there. All you do is, I'm right, you're wrong, great. The real courage is to listen. And the real courage is to have tough conversations, but those are tough listening. After you brought up your point of view to your spouse, then you have to listen to their point of view. Ooh. Harder than tough conversations is hard listening. And to accept that they maybe will never come to your point of view. But their point of view often is valid. And your point of view is often wrong. There is not one time that I sat down with another individual and heard who, their point of view that it didn't s- soften my position a drop. It's impossible. Truth is found in all 7 billion of us. And maybe some people take their, their truth to extreme and their extreme is just there to subtle, your, make your opinion a little more subtle and say, hey, there's another point of view over there. And that person's life experience has given them a different perspective on life. And we have tough conversations to be had. Let's talk about why is divorce rate going up in all our communities, in the Jewish community as well. Why is suicide going up? Do you know that the single biggest killer in in most Western societies is suicide, including in Israel? You have a bigger chance being killing yourself than a terrorist killing you and a car accident killing you. So the biggest threat to you is not road safety and not ISIS. It's you. Are you terrified of yourself? When you look at a guy that seems to be a terrorist, you're running to the hills. Are you running to the hills from yourself? In other words, are you embracing the fact that your depression and anxiety and, what, and, and, and your despondency, whatever it is, the challenge that you have in your life is a bigger threat and if you don't deal with it, you might end up in a dark space? That if we live a life of mediocrity, we might often do terrible things to ourselves because of that? Are we aware that the single biggest cause of, of divorce and suicide is often materialism? I was having a conversation with a bunch of people in my community, and believe me, it would take a lot of courage for me to even embrace this to my community. But imagine we start having a conversation that many communities have already had, and that is to make a cap, a maximum, how much people can spend on their bar mitzvahs, on their weddings. In many Jewish communities, religious communities across the world, and I believe non-Jewish communities as well, they've actually said, if you want to be part of this community, 
there's an, a cap on how much you could spend. Why? Because if you spend 200 grand on your barmy in, in our shul, and everyone walks in and says, ooh, then a woman who's, or a man who's having their child's celebration in six months' time comes home to their spouse and says, we better do it the same. The problem is the other family could afford 200 grand. You can barely afford 20 grand. And most of divorces across the world are being traced to financial issues. Most suicides. After Bernie Madoff's story, you know, you remember that Bernie Madoff story 10 years ago where the guy did the biggest Ponzi scheme ever in New York? He stole $50 billion from people. You know how many people committed suicide? And the financial crash of 2008, etc. Why? Because often we tie ourselves to our finances. So do we have those hard conversations about one second? Most of us are living beyond our means. You cannot afford your car. Your marriage is being strained because you're not driving a Honda. You're driving a Lexus. Only 10%, if not less, of people can actually afford the cars they're driving. And afford the homes they're living in. And afford the holidays. Who are you fooling? You just took your family to Orlando and you spent 400 grand on your trip. You can't afford it. You're begging the school to give you a discount on school fees. So why didn't you take a 10 grand holiday? Oh, no. It's not our standard. We do the 400 grand holiday. Really? Who are you fooling? You know how much anxiety it's causing your marriage? You know how much depression? You know how much fights? Do you know that the biggest gift you could give your children is to have a better marriage, not to take them to Orlando? They don't need Orlando to, to grow up to be decent people. And they don't need to go to a fancy island in, uh, next to Bangkok in Thailand. And they don't need a trip through Europe. They need your love. We're living in a, in a time that we've created an imagination in ourselves that we need to live a certain way. And it's destroying us. And these are conversations we have to have. And I'm not claiming to have all the answers. I don't know. But I know in certain communities, rabbis will not officiate at weddings that cost more than a certain price. Can you imagine that? He says, I will only officiate a wedding if you keep it within a certain budget, even if you could afford it. Because all your guests are going to come to this wedding and they'll see that you spent two million rand on this wedding and they will suffer anxiety and they will derail, it will derail their marriage and we have to take responsibility for one another and actually cap it. Maybe it's a good idea. Maybe. Maybe there has to be this policy that matric students cannot get BMWs as their first car. Do you know that some parents buy them, their kids BMWs and Lexuses for the first car? Brand new! Now, maybe you can afford it. But the other kid can't. And the other kid whose parent can barely afford them a broken down Toyota that's 20, 15 years old is coming to the parents and having fights with their parents. And it's causing their parents tremendous anxiety and those parents will buy the kid a fancy car that they cannot afford and it will derail their marriage. At some stage, we have to take responsibility for one another and realize what our materialism is doing. And all I'm saying is, we don't have the answers to all these questions, but are we asking the questions? When we see suicide after suicide, and almost inevitably the suicide is because of finances and because of depression. Are we having open conversations about depression within our community? About going to psychologists and psychiatrists and embracing our issues and realizing it's not embarrassed to be depressed and it's not embarrassing to be anxious. It's not embarrassing to have mental illness. It's not embarrassing to have financial struggles. 
And it's not embarrassing to need help from others. If we can't have these conversations, we are destroying ourselves as a community. Often we talk about what's the danger of our time. People love talking about that. ISIS, um, you know, crises, financial crises, etc. The crisis of our time is ourselves. Us as communities. When one of three marriages in the Jewish community right now is falling apart, and one of two marriages in the wider community is falling apart, and when suicide numbers are going up, and and when drugs are coming up, And when disloyalty in marriage is going up and almost every single litmus test by which you judge the health of a society is going up in our community and in the wider community, at some stage you say, hey, what's going on? Time to ask some questions. You know, let me bring up one final point before we go to break. It always boggled my mind that often we'll drive fancier cars than than, than. not only what we can afford, but then our houses are. You, people are driving BMWs and Lexuses, and when you go into the home, it's a very mediocre home. Now, that's one thing I never understood. If you, if you have the money, don't you want to invest in something that's going to stay there forever and actually you see there every day? No, because we, it's about perception. So my home could be a shack, but I can't drive anything less than a 500 grand car. But think about that. That's all about perception. Why are we living in perception? Do we know how much anxiety we're causing ourselves and others because of our perception? And when you post on Facebook, if God bless you or can afford a trip to Europe, do we have to know about it? Why is it on Facebook? If God bless you, have a beautiful family and all your kids are healthy and happy, do you have to post about it on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram? How many people don't have a happy marriage? And how many people don't have healthy kids? I grew up where I grew up, we never had family pictures even in our own home. Not because of a bad eye, but because what do you do to boast? You want to have it in your bedroom, it's one thing. But you walk into the dining room, the picture of the whole family smiling, it's nobody's business. The guests don't have to see that. You don't want to cause jealousy and you don't want to boast. Today, it's forget about the dining room and the living room. It's on Facebook. Update status. Look at me. Everyone's smiling. You know what the biggest lie in the world is? DJ. What's the biggest lie on the planet? Family pictures. They're one big lie. But not only are they a lie, they're unfair. What are you trying to do? You want us to like how awesome your family is? Are you aware that, first of all, it's probably not true because I know too many people that are posting about how awesome their marriage is and I know how bad their marriages are. But even if it is true, you trying to get me jealous? Trying to cause somebody else anxiety? What are you trying to do? Excuse me, Mark Zuckerberg. You know, God bless you. I always say, like, me and him should have been, you know, like, when I'm envious of some people, I'm envious of him. Why? Because he's three months older than me. He's a Jewish kid from New York. I'm a Jewish kid from New York. And look look where we ended up. (laughs) Yeah, $51 billion, whatever. And let us all say amen. But Mark, I mean, like, really, as much as Facebook's an incredible time for conversation, but look what it's done. I just read an article that almost most marriages that are derailing in the West today are because of social media. Finances and social media, where a person meets up somebody they met 30 years ago, and unfortunately they, they become disloyal in the marriage, and it decays the marriage. And in over 50% of divorce proceedings, 
WhatsApp and Facebook and Twitter are being quoted as one of the main reasons that it's derailing the marriage. So we're living in a mad world. And we can't have these conversations. I can imagine right now as I'm talking, some of you are thinking, who does he think he is? You're right. But aren't we all entitled to to ask questions and have conversations? And I'm asking you, can't we as a community decide to actually put a cap on all this? Whether it's financial expenditure that's beyond our means. Whether it's not forcing it. I'm not talking about like becoming a community that forces each other. But having open conversations where we actually decide to stop posting all the stuff on Facebook. And stop driving cars that we can't afford. And even if we can afford them, be mindful about what it's doing to the people who cannot. You want to have a nice uh, movie thing in your home? Fine, it's private. You want to go on a nice holiday? Keep it private. But you're going on a yacht that's costing you $3,000 a night. Can you please not post it on Facebook and cause us all anxiety? That's the amount of money we earn a month. Some of us. Some of us less. I know a person who, even when they come into the house with a big shop, they make sure to do it privately so that the woman who works in their house, the domestic, does not see how much they spent. Because it it might hurt her, because she can't afford such a shop. And I think that's so sensitive. Yes, you're paying their salary. But you're honest. You maybe spent in that shop how much you're paying her for a full month. You just came back from a Passover shopping. You spent more in that Passover shopping than your chances are you're paying your domestic or your gardener. Are you sensitive to that? All we need to do is have conversations. The answers, the, you might have very different answers, but let's not shut one another down for the courage to ask questions because these are conversations that, boy, we need to have. Materialism. Futures of shuls. What will shuls do? Almost every big shul in this country is struggling now. Membership. Relevance. Interest of the community. What do we do about it? Don't put your head in the sand and make believe it's not happening. It is happening. What do we do? Maybe you have one answer and I have a different answer. That's, that's great. That's debate. But we can't even have the question? Here on 101.9, Chayef. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avtsan on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. Rabbi Levi Avtsan here. We're wrapping up the show. Um, I hope you were with us for the past 40 minutes. And we were talking about tough conversations that we have to have. And again, some of us are so scared of having tough conversations because we're afraid where that it will lead us. I remember when I approached youth and I told them, I said, guys, let, what are the questions you have on faith and religion and family? And one of the teachers starts screaming at me and saying, hey, if they ask questions, they might get to the wrong answers. And my, my belief is if you don't ask questions, you'll definitely get to the wrong answers. If you ask questions and you're willing to ask them for the right reasons, you might get to the right answer. But stifling questions, which unfortunately communities do all over the world, homogeny of thought is the most dangerous thing. Because one day your kid will wake up and they'll have questions. And at least let them have the questions when they're home. When they have you. When they're still in school and they can ask their teachers. What do you want them to have the questions? When they're in their 20s and 30s? You want them to wake up one day and say, Hey, maybe I should have never got married. I don't want to have kids. But you already have four of them, so now you neglect them. Whatever it is, people have these crises. People have these crises of faith later on in life. 
I believe that, listen, I haven't hit midlife yet, but I believe a big reason that most, many people have midlife crisis is because they didn't have early life crisis. Because they just follow the route that their parents formed for them, and then one day they wake up and say, hey, I never wanted to be a lawyer. And now you're 45, 50. If we don't have these conversations young and courageous, we will bite ourselves hard later on. And as a community, if we don't start having conversations about the difficult stuff, as we mentioned, drugs, divorce, unloyalty, suicide, depression, whatever it is, these conversations that we prefer to keep under the carpet, abuse, then one day awake, it hits us so hard, and it's often too late. Finances, expenditure, living beyond our means, materialism, Judaism, shuls for the future, roles of leaders, whatever it is. As long as we don't have these conversations of maturity, as long as we're screaming at one another, as long as we shut down healthy debate, we will self-destruct. We cannot be afraid of opposing opinions. I always tell people, please, as long as you're doing it respectful, oppose. Say your opinion. Not only are you entitled to, I would love to hear it. We need courageous conversations across the board. This Shabbos, Jews all over the world are going to celebrate the Shabbos project. That's one courageous thing. For us to go out of our comfort zone and keep a Shabbos. Whatever the courage you need... Have it. If you know that right now the difference between you getting divorced and you staying married is 10 tough conversations in front of a therapist or a mediator, go have those conversations. If you know the difference right now between you and your parent having a healthy and decent relationship versus acrimonious and hateful, and all that stands between you are tough conversations, have them! If you know the difference between you having satisfaction in your job and you hating your job is having certain conversations. Have them. If you know the difference of you having happiness is between you driving a Toyota and a Lamborghini, then drive the Toyota. Regardless of everyone saying, ooh, he or she only drives a Toyota. A Tata. They don't even own a car. They take Uber. Rather drive an Uber and have a happy life than drive a Lexus alone. Rather do whatever it takes to deal with the depression and anxiety you have. Go to the therapist, go to the psychiatrist, whatever it is, then live with it in depression. Stop fooling the world that you're happy if you're not. Stop fooling the world that you have billions if you don't. Make sure you're happy. Make sure your kids are growing up in a peaceful and harmonious home and have those conversations whatever it takes. Wishing you a great day, a Shabbat Shalom, and we finish with this upbeat song from Eif Simchis, Aleichem Valenu, here on 101.9 Chai FM. Thank you, DJ, and thank you, Chai FM.